And when he was coming to the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching, and said unto him, or and said, By what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? And Jesus answered and said unto them, I also will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, whence was it? From heaven or of men? They reasoned within them, with themselves, saying, If we shall say from heaven, he will say unto us, Why did you not then believe him? But if we shall say of men, we fear the people, for all hold John as a prophet. And they answered Jesus and said, We cannot tell. And he said unto them, Neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. I want us to pause here in Matthew 21, verses 23 to 27, and take a look at a few things about this passage. And in the context... Back up a little more in the, in the greater context and then look at a few lessons that we can learn for ourselves. So first of all, I want you to notice some of the statements that Jesus made, made here and what's going on in this, in this dialogue between Jesus and the Jewish leaders. First of all, I want you to notice these leaders came to him as he was teaching and they said, By what authority doest thou these things and who gave thee this authority? So first of all, they're asking him, Where did you get your authority? Who gave you this authority? Well, Jesus isn't new on the scene at the time of this statement, right? Jesus has made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He's been he's he's ridden into Jerusalem, as was prophesied in uh, in Micah. He's ridden into Jerusalem. People have been putting palms in front of him as he's riding into Jerusalem. Not only that, he's gone into the temple another time, as he had done many many times before. He's gone into the temple yet this time, and he has thrown out the money changers. He's overturned their tables. There's been quite a thing that's happened so far in this immediate context. And so these, these leaders come to him, by what authority doest thou these things, and who gave thee this authority? Alright, so there's a little bit about the context. Now look at Jesus' response. Look at Jesus' response here, because we learn, as we always do, an incredible amount from what Jesus, how Jesus responds to his critics and those that were challenging him. And just any time that Jesus spoke, speaks, or any time He spoke, we always learn a tremendous amount. So I want you to look at how He responded to them. He said, I also will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I and likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. Now, you know, when you look at this, what's, Jesus basically responded saying, you tell me and I'll tell you. But why is Jesus saying that? Is Jesus... Some might say, well, Jesus is just trying to be, you know, critics might say, well, Jesus is just trying to be a smart aleck here. No, there, don't get me wrong, there is a very pointed thing to be made in what he's saying. But what's he asking? He's asking them a reason to get them to think. Notice what he asked them. He said, he said, I also will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I am likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. Let's look at a couple of things about his, what he says here. He says, the baptism of John, whence was it, from heaven or of men? And of course, you know they go on and reason within themselves and talk about amongst themselves about, oh, here's, what, well, here's what's going to happen if we say this. Here's what's going to happen if we say this. So we can't tell you. So very politically, not a new thing for us. We see this in political situations all the time. People will, they won't say this because of this. They won't say this because of this. So they just... 
say something that they feel is, is as politically... Un- <laughs> How do I say that? They maintain as politically a profitable position for themselves as they can. I guess is the best way to say that. But I want you to notice Jesus' question. He says, I'll tell you if you tell me. He says, the baptism of John whence was it? First of all, that word whence. He's asking them, where, where did the baptism of John come from? But notice what is that. He supplies the, the, the correct answer and another option that they could have chose. He says, where was it? Where did it come from? From heaven or of men? And I want us to notice very plainly, very clearly, those are the only two places that are from which authority ever ever, ever, ever derives. It's either from heaven or it's not from heaven because that's what that's saying. He's saying from heaven, the baptism of John, did it come from heaven or from men? In other words, did it come from God from heaven or was it not from God from heaven and was it therefore from men? In other words, did man devise this and come up with it on their own? Whence was it? Which one did, where did it come from? Well, one might ask, well, why is Jesus that? Some people view Jesus, I think, as some sort of a lunatic because of how sometimes they view his responses to things as if they're not, co- not connected at all to what's being said. But you know why he talked about the baptism of John? Because the baptism of John identified who he was. John the baptizer had been saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John the baptizer said, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. So if you have the baptism, and not only that, but what had they done with the baptism of John? They had refused to be baptized. Right? They had said, that, well, I don't know if I can say that, but I can say this. Look at Matthew chapter 3. In Matthew chapter 3, it says, In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea. I'll say this, they had refused the authority by which John worked. Let's say that. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He calls upon them to repent, just as he was promised to do, just as was prophesied about the forerunner. He said, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now I want you to notice in verse, beginning of verse 7, When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth, therefore, fruits, meat, for repentance. And think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear, he shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, whose fan is in his hand and will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. The basic idea is this. John came on the scene preaching. He identified the Lamb. Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world, John 1.29. He told them that the kingdom of heaven was at hand, Matthew 3, 1 and 2, and that they needed to repent. Well, you know that the Jewish leaders thought they had nothing to repent of. They thought that they were they thought they had no need to change anything, and they certainly didn't want anybody coming on the scene and upsetting the apple cart, as it were. So when Jesus 
responded to their question whenever he's there in the temple preaching. He's already overthrown the money changers' table. He's already entered into Jerusalem with the triumphant entry whenever the people are laying down palms in front of him and he's riding on the colt, the foal of an ass, or on the ass and the colt, the foal of an ass. He's riding in in the, in the prophesied way. He's identified as the Son of God. He's identified as the Messiah. He's preaching and teaching. He's already done many things to prove who He was. Think about Matthew 9.6. Whenever in Matthew 9.6, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, then saith He to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed and walk. Because remember what had happened. He had spoken sins forgiven and He had been questioned about that. So He says, that you may know that the Son of Man has power, authority, on earth to forgive sins. Then saith he to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed. Matthew 9, 6. In other words, he was proving who he was. He was proving his authority that he had to say those things by the power that he had to do those things. Just like John 20, 30, and 31 say. Many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of His disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that believing you might have life through His name. So He points them back and He says, the baptism of John, whence was it? So a couple of things there, right? Number one, who was John and what was he doing? In other words, if they had been accepting of John's teaching, if they had been accepting of John's baptism, if they had been waiting and looking for the Messiah to come in a, in an, in a humble fashion, in other words, ready to receive Him, not a resistance fashion. Because, so that's another one of the things that's great, that's, that's an amazing lesson out of the book of Matthew. When you open up Matthew, Matthew 1 tells you this. Two things. Jesus is the seed of Abraham. High level two things. There's a lot more in Matthew 1 than that. But high level two things. Matthew 1, 1 1-17, Jesus is the seed of Abraham and the seed of David. Therefore, He's the King that's going to reign on the throne, the everlasting throne, and over the everlasting kingdom, and He is the one in whom all nations are going to be blessed. That's what that's telling us. Then Matthew 1, 18-25 tells me he's the seed of woman. Therefore, he's the one that's going to crush the head of the serpent. But then when you look at Matthew 2, what do you see, big picture? You see two very different responses to the birth of Christ. So Matthew 1, he's born. Here's his genealogy. He's born. He's, going to, he's, he's God on earth, God in the flesh. Emmanuel. He's the one that's going to save us from our sins, Matthew 1. 23 and 21 respectively. Matthew 2, there's two great, there's two basic responses to Jesus' arrival. Number one, you have the wise men who sought Him out and worshipped Him. And that in and of itself is wise. Number two, you have Herod who also sought Him out but not to worship Him. To murder Him. Why? Fear. Wanting to maintain peace. People do a lot of strange things whenever they don't fear God of their utmost fear. Jeroboam. For instance, he feared he would lose power, so he changed the entire system of Israel's worship that God had ordained. So a lot of people do a lot of strange things out of fear. He feared 
losing his power. So he wanted to kill Jesus. He wanted to kill the one that was prophesied to be the king. And those two responses are basically indicative of exactly how people responded to Jesus in the first century. Among the Jews, especially, and amongst Gentiles. And it's also indicative of the responses that people make to Jesus today. They either accept or reject for one reason or another. Matthew 21 is no different. Jesus has authoritatively made his point as to who he is by the miracles he had performed, by the prophecies he had fulfilled. Think about the teachings that he had done. You remember what he said in Matthew 7.29 about his teaching? He taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes, right? Why? Because you think about Matthew 5.17. What did he say? You think about think about why he said that. Think not that I am come to destroy the law of the prophets. I am not come to destroy or to fulfill. You ever wonder why he said think not that? In other words, he's implying people would have there were some people who were going to think that. There were some people that were going to think he was there to just totally upset the the system that should be in place, the law and the prophets. Don't think I've come to destroy the law and the prophets but to fulfill. He went ahead and laid it out said, this is what I've come to do. Not this. And he went on to say, nothing's going to pass away until it be fulfilled, Matthew 5, 18 and 19. But notice what he said in verse 20, and this is, that this is connected back to verse 17 and connected to our text here in Matthew 21. So in verse 20, what did he say? He said, except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case in no case, enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, you and I talked about this. This isn't a righteousness meter, right? Where the scribes and Pharisees were a 14 and you've got to be a 15 or they're a 19 and you've got to be a 20 or whatever. It's not a number. Uh, it's not a metric per se that is that... It's not that kind of metric. It is a metric, but it's not that kind of... It's not a quantitative metric. It's a qualitative metric. Meaning, it's not a number on a scale. It's a quality of the thing being measured. And the quality is this. Either your righteousness is real or it is fake. Period. That's the quality being measured. Except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. He just got done saying in verse 17, Think not that I am come to destroy. And then what does he go on and do from verses 21 all the way through the end of the chapter, 548? He goes on and says, Ye have heard it said, but I say unto you. Well, what had been taught very prominently in the Jewish system in those days? I'm going to use the words of Matthew 15. The doctrines and commandments of men, Matthew 15, 9. But in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. They had been teaching the sayings of their teachers through the years. Not going all the way back to the Scriptures and using them as the only authority and making sure that they were authoritatively speaking on how they should live. That's why he's replacing all those things. He's saying, you've heard it said... Because they would take, they had taken, they had extracted points out of the law of God, and and so focused on one point of the law of God that they totally removed it from everything and from the heart and soul of what God had intended. Which Israel was very 
known for doing, I guess you could say, or very... That was a habit of theirs. Let's put it that way. That was a habit of theirs. They lost what the law was intending for them to become by holding on to something that they should have... that, that was the wrong idea altogether. For example... They thought as long as they didn't murder anybody, that's what not kill. They're okay. No matter how much they hated the person. Well, that's not what the law said. The law did not say you're okay as long as you don't kill the person. You can hate them to the nth degree. You can have all this bitterness between you and that person. That is not what the law taught. Oh, well, as long as I don't commit adultery... They could think all the thoughts they want. They No. There wasn't any such thing. You can you can as long as you don't commit physical adultery, you're okay. That's not what the law said. Did it forbid physical adultery? Yes. But was it okay with anything but that? No. Chapter six he moves on and he does what? He dismantles their whole way of doing things to be seen of men. See, think about this. He said, think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. What were people going to be saying he was doing? He's going against everything. He's going against it all. Well, no, he's going against you. He's going against your doctrines and commandments of men. He's going against your sounding your trumpets and then doing your good deeds so you can be seen of men, Matthew 6. That's why He told them, look, when you pray, you enter in your closet and pray. When you do your alms and your good deeds of men, don't do it to be seen of men, Matthew 6, 1. So, they come to Him in the temple and they say, by what power, by what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? Jesus said, I also ask you one thing, the baptism of John. Whence was it, from heaven or of men? So we talked about that. We talked about the context. We talked about that there's really only two sources of power. And I want to say a, a, a bit more about that because we had talked for a moment about the baptism of John, Jesus' response to their question. Because the baptism of John points to that authority comes from God because John was sent by God as the forerunner. John identified the Christ as the forerunner. John was baptizing people by the authority of God. Even Jesus himself was baptized by John to fulfill all righteousness. Matthew chapter 4, or excuse me, 3, 13 through 17. So John's baptism, Jesus is pointing back to a, a basis of sorts for them to have started to fall in line with what they should have been expecting and looking for if they had missed the signs of His birth, if they had missed other things. Now, here it is, public and becoming apparent. It's being announced. Here's the forerunner. Malachi talks about the forerunner. Malachi 3, 1 and 2. Malachi 4, 6. Isaiah talked about the forerunner. 
Isaiah 40 and verse 3. Here He is. He's come and He's saying, Be repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And when these Jewish leaders come to Him, He says to them, Who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Notice what all is implied in His question. There's wrath coming, number one. To them. And that they should be fleeing from the wrath. But He's asking, who warned you to flee? Who? I know it wasn't God because you're not listening to Him. What wrath was coming? Well, don't get me wrong, there's ultimately the, the last day. Wrath is coming, yes. But they had an even more immediate situation. For one, they had the destruction of Jerusalem that was going to come their way. Matthew 23, Jesus said, Your house is left unto you desolate. That's a pretty strong statement. You know what their house was? The physical structure of the temple. Their whole family house even, the house of Israel, the house of Judah. Their whole system was corrupt and empty. And it's left unto them desolate. And what did Jesus say there in Matthew 23, 37? He said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, what have they done? Thou that killest the prophets. <coughs> and them that are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thee, even as a hen gathereth her chickens, but ye would not. So they had been rebelling this whole time. So that's why Jesus said the baptism of John. But I want to say more about that point about whence was it? In other words, from where did it? Where was its origin? Where did it come from? Where did it? Where, where did it get its beginning? Whence was it? From heaven or of men? Those are the only two places that anything can ever come. And we've got to ask ourselves the question: Why do we do what we do? Where do we get our authority for what we do? Jesus had said some things about authority. When you look at the book of Matthew. Matthew 28, 18, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. After He died, after He was resurrected, He was preparing to ascend to His Father. He sends His disciples out with all authority. He is now reigning as the King on the throne. He had, given all, he had given up His position to come to this world to be the sin sacrifice, to die in our stead. He was successful in doing everything that He came to do. He, established his, he, he died to set up His kingdom, which was established in Acts 2, began in Acts 2, and He was returning, getting ready to return to the Father. All power, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and in earth. Whence was it, heaven or of men? And notice how important this question is because notice how the Jewish leaders visit amongst themselves before they decide how to answer. If we shall say from heaven, then He will say, why did you not then obey Him? Why did you not then obey? So I can say, like I started to say earlier, I mistakenly pulled it back, but... 
I just couldn't think of a verse right off the top of my head that said exactly as this is saying, but I wasn't thinking clearly, evidently. Why did you not then believe him? Why did you not then believe him? That's what he would have said had they said it's from heaven. Then they thought about the other option. If we shall say of men, which was no doubt what they wanted to say, we fear the people. For all whole John is a prophet. There's the political problem with it. If we say this is from man, all these people aren't going to like that. So they hide like cowards do, like we see a lot of happening today in other arenas, public and national and international situations going on in this world right now. We see a lot of people hiding from their responsibilities and shirking responsibilities and pointing blame and so forth. But here you have them hiding. And then they get out and tell bald-faced lies. That's what these guys are doing. We cannot tell. Oh, you can't? You don't know the answer? Yeah, you do. You do know the answer. Don't tell me you cannot tell. So they knew that if they said it, they couldn't. They would be. They had the horns of a dilemma, if you will. So, they, so Jesus said, Neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. Now I want you to think about this idea of authority and this idea of we've got to have authority from God. And I want you to go, let's go forward to the book of Acts. And I want us to look at a few things there. And as you're turning there, Acts, I want you to think about Colossians 3 when he says, Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Start in Acts chapter 3. Remember what's happened. Pentecost has taken place. The church has been established. <coughs> it created a great stir with the preaching and teaching that was done there with the coming of the Holy Spirit, with the Lord adding to the church daily such as should be saved. Then, chapter 3, notice this. Now, Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer being the ninth hour, and a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms, and Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Notice this. Here's, where we can, well, here's the whole reason we were reading this text. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So here he is, immediately and completely healed of his lifelong malady. Immediately and completely healed. And Peter said, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. That's the authority by which Peter spoke. He had authority from Christ to heal people of their diseases and of their maladies, to be able to do these things to prove that he's a messenger of God. 
And you know what happened. It created a, a, a huge stir. And so Peter began preaching it again. And he preached about their past. And he says that they had denied the Holy One, the just. They desired a murderer to be granted. They killed the Prince of Peace. And so, I want you to notice now in verse 19, Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he, he quoted Moses there in verse 22, talking about that prophet that would come. And he talked about what, how all the prophets and Samuel had preached up to this point. Now I want you to look at verse four, or chapter 4, verse 1. And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached, notice this, through Jesus. That's by the name of. Same idea. Through Jesus, the resurrection from the dead. We don't like it that you're preaching this doctrine of resurrection. So they basically put them, they put them in prison for the night. Next day, the rulers and the elders and scribes, they come together. Notice this question in verse 7. When they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? Notice those two interchangeable terms, power and name. They're asking, How did you do this? What power or what name did you do this? Who gave you this? Sounds a lot like Matthew 21, 23 to 27, doesn't it? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said unto them, You rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, notice this, by what means he is made whole, there's your authority, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, there's your authority, whom ye crucified, you killed him, but he's still working, whom God raised from the dead, that's why he's still working, God resurrected him, even by him, there's his authority, that this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Neither is, there any salva neither is there salvation in any other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. This is the only place where you can go and be saved is in Christ. It's the only place where there is the authority to be saved. Now, as we think about this concept of authority and where did it come from, from heaven or of men, and what does it mean, and if we do think, we've got to do things in the name of God, in the name of Christ, by God's authority. I want you to think about some, some examples from the past. Very quickly. What about the name Cain? We talked about before how Abel by faith offered unto God. What about Cain? He offered a sacrifice to God that was not acceptable. And God said, If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. Genesis 4-7. What about Nadab and Abihu? Nadab and Abihu took either of them a censer and put fire therein and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not, and they died before the Lord. Fire went out from the Lord and they died before the Lord. Leviticus 10, 1 and 2. Think about Jeroboam. He changed everything about the system of worship because of his fear. 
And he was the reason that Israel was given up into Assyrian captivity. He shall give Israel up for the sins of Jeroboam who did sin and who made Israel to sin. He took the authority of God, plainly stated by the law of God, and changed all of those things. In other words, you're seeing an exact instance of where someone someone is taking the authority upon themselves. That's why the question is so important. Whence was it from heaven or of men? Here's Jeroboam taking situations into his own hands, changing things about how God had it set up and making it his own way because of the fear that the people would go to Rehoboam and kill him and make Rehoboam king. Whereas God had assured him that if you faithfully follow me, I'll bless you. But I want you to think about a couple of the passages from the prophets themselves. What about Isaiah? Whenever Isaiah said, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter, woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and they're prudent in their own sight. In other words, these are people that look at God's law and say, No, I don't need to do it that way. I'm going to do it my way. I've got my own way and I'm going to do it that way. What about when Jeremiah wrote, My people have committed two great evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water, Jeremiah 2.13. Jeremiah 2.32. Can a maid forget her ornaments? Or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. You think about that people that Jeremiah was preaching to. The text says, Jeremiah 5, 30 and 31, that the prophets prophesy falsely. The priests bear rule by their means. And my people love to have it so. And he asks the question, what will you do in the end there? What do you do with a group that's like that? The beginning of that same chapter, God had, in, had told Jeremiah, Run you to and, throw, to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem, and see now and know, if there be any that executeth judgment. And he named a few of the things, and he says, And I will pardon it. In other words, this destruction that's coming, you find the, you find the people in Jerusalem and tell me. Pointing to the absence and the lack of righteousness and of godliness and of God-fearing people in that place. Because they didn't care. They wanted it their way. I'll give you one other prophet. Think about Micah. Remember Micah? In Micah, we're, we're told in Micah 1.3 that God is going to come out of heaven basically and come <coughs> down to them and that everything's going to be basically melting in His presence. This picture of God coming out and pictured as this, as a, in, almost in this human form, if you will, this 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 force that's going to come and 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 take over and and conquer and and wipe out everything in front of it, coming out of heaven, coming after them. Chapter two tells me why. Woe unto them 
that work evil on their beds. When the morning is light, they practice it. What were they doing? They were making plans and schemes of how to... They devise iniquity and work evil upon their beds. So that's the problem. But now, chapter 2 basically gives you at least two things that they were doing that tells you how they had totally neglected the, the authority of God, the law of God. That is, they were silencing God, verse 6 and verse 11. They were telling, Prophesy ye not, say they to them that prophesy. They were telling the prophets, Be silent, shut up. Verse 11 tells you the kind of prophet they wanted. A drunk liar. They wanted a drunk liar as their prophet. Verses 1 and following tells me that they were a covetous people seeking to take the houses and the lands and everything from their neighbor. They were devising iniquity, working evil upon their beds. When the morning is light, they practice it. They covet fields and take them by force. They silenced God and they stole goods from their fellow man. A demonstration of the fact that they didn't love God with all their heart, soul, and mind and they didn't love their neighbors themselves. Interesting to me that that's found in Matthew chapter 22. Not long after this context of Matthew 21 with this question about authority. Because that's the basis of all of it, folks. We either have the right authority for what we do and we seek and make sure that we have that authority for what we do. And then once we, once we understand the authority, what, the, what God has said on the matter, we with our heart, soul, and mind love Him with everything we've got and we love our neighbors ourselves so that we can stick to that authority that He's given or here's how we do things. Because if we stick to that authority given, He's going to tell us how to live the best life, how to do the right things for our neighbor, how to do the right things in our own lives. So I'm going to ask you, where's your authority come from for what you do? How you teach? What you say? How you act? Where's my authority come from? We've got to make sure that we're sticking to God's Word and following it and only it. By what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? Can you answer that question with the right answer? Jesus did. Jesus provided the right answer. Maybe you're with us this morning and you've never obeyed the authority of God to become a child of God to allow the Lord to add you to the church through baptism after submitting to His will and obeying, being willing to obey the gospel. Jesus sent out His disciples with a very clear message. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. And we know that whenever people obeyed that message, they were added by the Lord to the church. Mark 16, 15 and 16. Acts 2, 38, 41 and 47. 
But maybe you're among us, having obeyed the Gospel. You've been added by the Lord to the church. Well, you've strayed away since then. Not following the right authority for whatever reason. Make sure you come back. You need to come back before it's too late. There isn't anything that's worth staying away from the authority of God and the love of God in this life. I want us to think about that very seriously in this time because you and I are living in a time it's not going to be the same as it's been for so many years in previous decades. And it's been changing for a while and we've known that. But it all the more underscores the fact and the importance of what God calls on you and me to do to obey Him and to become His children and to follow Him faithfully. Whence was it? From heaven or of men? You know, whenever we face the judgment, that question is going to be of paramount importance because we're going to be judged by the law of God. John 12, 48. What will your answer be at that time? We can help you. Please come.